Welcome to this week's Rashi Shear, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. So, we actually are in the Mizrahi Bet Midrash, as it says at the beginning of each podcast, but it hasn't been strictly true up till now for the last several months. But Baruch Hashem, here we are in the Bet Midrash, and welcome all those in the Shear those listening online and those listening to the podcast sometime later. For those who are listening live, this week is a special week because we are in the middle, well not in the middle, we're towards the beginning of the Sedra of Vayera, which is this week's Sedra. So this week, the Rashi Shir is also a Parshat Shavua Shir. If you're listening on the podcast many weeks hence, you won't get that, but never mind. Okay, and we are right in the middle of the story of Saddam, well, in fact, towards the end of the story of Saddam, and tonight we're going to do the epilogue there too. So Saddam has basically been destroyed. Lot and his family were brought out. Lot said, can we go to Tsoar? Can Tsoar please be saved from the fate of the other cities? And the Malachim who were taking Lot out said, okay. Lot's wife looked behind her and was punished. And Pasuk uh, Zion, where we left it last week, has Abraham getting up in the morning and looking out over the place. Uh, sorry, he, that's the next passage. He went, I got up in the morning to the place where he had stood there at Pene Hashem before Hashem, i.e. the place where he'd had his dialogue, bargaining with Hashem about saving Sodom and its other cities. And he gets up in the morning to see what happened. And what happened is as follows. He looked at the face of Sodom Amorah. The Alkol Penei Eretz Hakikar, and all the face of the land of the plain, Vayar, and he saw the and behold, Allah Kitor, a Kitor was ascending, Haaretz on the earth, Kikitor Hakivshan, and that was a Kitor like that of a Kivshan, which well I'll leave untranslated as well because Rashi is going to translate Kitor and Kivshan. And uh, perhaps it's appropriate to start off on what I think is a straightforward Rashi. As you know, I always say I'm a bit nervous about saying it's a straightforward Rashi. But I think he is explaining the word Kitor and explaining the word Kivshan, because you might not know exactly what they mean. So in Rashi on Kafchet says Kitor, Timor Shel Ashan. It's a column of smoke. Now, the word Kitor is related to the word Kitoret, something that gets burnt. So it's something to do with smoky stuff. Timor is probably related to Tamar, meaning a great big tree. So a Timor Shal Ashan is a column of smoke. That is what a Kitor is. And if you're not familiar with the Hebrew, he gives you a French word, Torque, Torch, from which we get the English word, Torch. And then he says, Hakivshan. What is a Kivshan? Chafira. It's the digging place. Sorfin Bo et Avanim. The sid, where they burn the stones for lime, the chain called kivshan shabatora, and so is every type. Every time you see the word kivshan in the Torah, it's a big pit where there's a lot of burning going on. Because I, I don't know very much about the lime production process, but you burn stones to make lime, and I, I, I nobody seemed to talk about this, um, which makes me think it's a straightforward comment. Um, it seems to me that the word kivshan which we normally translate as kiln, and maybe I'm thinking of the English word kiln, 
is usually thought of something fairly small. You have it you know, in, in, uh, in a small art room, you might have an industrial size one, which will be a bit larger, but it doesn't necessarily give off lots and lots of smoke. And maybe that's why Rashi has to say the Kivshan we're talking about in the Torah is not really a kiln that you have in the corner of the art room, but it's the pit where you do all the burning of the stones. And that's why there's going to be a Kitor, which is a Timar Shel Ashon, which is a column of smoke coming up from it. If you have a column of smoke coming up from the kiln in the art room, you've got a problem. But Rashi's telling us that a kivshan is not that, it's the pit where they do the burning. Okay. Did you say that this is, sorry, it's lime? Yes. Not limestone? Limestone, yes. So is lime like, is that the same as the... No, not, not the fruit. Okay. No, limestone. Sure, sure. Yes. Okay, okay. <laughs> I think, again, I'm, I'm not really an expert in this thing. No, definitely not the lime, the fruit. Okay. <laughs> Um, sorry, that was Kafet. Kaftet. So that's the end of Abraham. Abraham sort of makes a cameo appearance at this point. He had a major role at the beginning, and now he comes to see what was the result of his prayers. Kaftet. Vayihi, and it was. Veshachet Elokim et Are Hakika. When Hashem destroyed the cities of the plain. Vayizkor Elokim et Avraham. God remembered Abraham. And he sent out Lot from the midst of the inversion, when he inverted the cities, i.e. destroyed them, where Lot dwell amongst them. So the verb, the key thing is, Hashem remembered Abraham and he sent out Lot. So Rashi says, Rashi, uh, interestingly, starts with his own question. He spells out what the question is on the words, What is the remembering of Abraham literally on or related to Lot? So what Rashi understands is that Hashem remembered Abraham and as a result of remembering Abraham, he sent out Lot. So the first thing Rashi says is they aren't two separate things. You might read them as two separate things. On the one hand, Hashem remembered Abraham. On the other hand, he sent out Lot. No, the remembering Abraham is manifest by sending out Lot. So then Rashi says, what is it that, that Hashem remembered about Abraham that leads him to send out Lot? So continues Rashi. Nizkar shahaya Lot yodea he remembered, or it was remembered, that Lot knew, they're talking about when the whole family went down to Egypt soon after they arrived in, in Canaan, Lot knew that Sarah was the wife of Abraham. And Lot heard that Abraham said in Egypt regarding Sarah, she is my sister. And he did not reveal the thing. Lot did not reveal the secret. Shahaya chas alav, because he had mercy on him. Now it's a little bit vague there, but I think it means clearly that Lot had mercy on Abraham. Leficha chas alav. Therefore, Hashem had mercy on him. Okay, lots to say about this. Um, let's start with the thing that Lot did. So you could say that it's not a big deal. If your brother-in-law stroke uncle stroke protector 
needs your silence and clearly is coming up with a ruse um, to say that Sarah is his sister, to save his own life, you would have thought that it's pretty natural for the brother-in-law stroke nep nephew stroke protected one to keep quiet. What's the big deal? So you could say it's not such a big deal, and I'll come back to that. Or you could say it was a big deal for Lot, because number one, he's putting himself in danger in that if he is, if the secret is revealed and he was part of the conspiracy to keep the secret, then he will be in danger with the rest of the party. Number two, you could say he's got a tremendous vested interest in revealing the secret. We know from other places, Rashi makes clear that Lot had a mercenary interest. Lot went to Sodom in last week's parasha. Lot, uh, Lot's shepherds um, didn't quite steal, but sort of stole pasture land from other people. Um, and we can trace that to perhaps when Lot goes to Egypt and comes out of Egypt, he's much more interested in money. Now, Lot in Egypt, if he had revealed the secret, he might have won in two ways. It could have been a win-win. Number one, Abraham would have been killed and Lot's his only heir at that time. So he would inherit Abraham. Number two, no doubt Paro would have given him lots of money. So on two counts, he could have fulfilled his particular Yetzirah. So then you could say perhaps it's a big deal for him not to reveal the secret. Okay, next thing to say, Rashi is very careful. He doesn't say that Lot has schut, has merit. Now, after all, um, uh, Rashi said that Lot wasn't told by the Malach not to turn around and see the fate of Saddam because he deserved to die like the rest of them. And Lot, Rashi's position is that Lot does not deserve to be saved. So Rashi sees in this Pasuk that why is Lot saved? Not because of Lot's merit, but because Hashem remembers Avraham. So as a favor to Avraham, Hashem rescues Lot, not because of Lot's merit. And it's very clear in those words that Rashi rules out the possibility that Lot actually deserves it. So this thing, this thing about keeping quiet uh, in Egypt is not Lot's great reason to be saved, but rather a reason to save him as a favor to Abraham. Because Lot did a good thing by Abraham. So when Hashem is remembering Abraham, Hashem then saves Lot as a favor to Abraham, but not in Lot's merit because Lot doesn't have merit. The next thing to say is, and the, the Mizrahi asked this question, is why does Rashi need to go into history and refine some incident in the dim and distant past? Why doesn't Rashi say, um, Hashem remembered Abraham and he saved Lot because Lot was his nephew. Lot was his brother-in-law. Abraham put his own life in danger in the battle between the kings in order to save Lot. Isn't it obvious that Hashem remembers Abraham and as a favor to Abraham saved Lot because he's part of the Mishpacha? So the answer perhaps is what is meant by the Yizkor. And I, as evidence for this discussion, I turn to Perak Lamad, Pasuk Kaf Bet of Bereshit. And this is in Pasha in Sedra Vayetze, and Yaakov's wives are having children, lots of them, except for Rachel. Rachel hasn't had any children. And then in Pasuk Kaf Bet, Vayizkor Elohim, Et Rachel. Hashem remembered Rachel, Elaha, and listened to her, Elohim. Hashem listened to her, Et Rachman. He opened her womb and she had a child. And look at Rashi, 
on by his koila kimet Rachel, Zachar la shemasra simoneha la achota. He remembered that she had handed over the signs to her sister. So the famous and beautiful story that Yaakov and Rachel devised a secret code to make sure that Rachel, sorry, that uh, Lavan couldn't trick Yaakov by substituting Rachel or Leah for Rachel. And at the last minute, Rachel realized that Leah, she's exposed, will get embarrassed, and therefore Rachel hands over the secret signs to Leah. So Yaakov thinks he is marrying Rachel. Why doesn't Rashi there say, Hashem remembered her? Hashem has been dealing with all the other wives, all the other children, and ah, now at the end of the day, Hashem remembers Rachel. Because that's not what Vayizkor means. Vayizkor for Rashi means he remembers a particular incident in the past. We use remember to say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm counting all the ingredients that I need for my cake. I've got this, I've got this. Oh, I must remember this. That's not what Vayizkor means. It means not be aware of, but remember an incident in the past. So, given that, and we can see it clearly from the way Rashi interprets the Rachel Pasuk, and when it comes to this Pasuk, Vayizkor Elohim et Abraham, he's got to refine an incident in the past which connects Lot and Abraham. And there aren't many, to be honest. Um, the one is the one that Rashi describes, that Lot didn't reveal the secret in Mitzrayim. Okay. Moving on to Pasuk Lamad. Vayal Lot Mitzoar, Vayosh Eshev Bahar, Ushtebanatov Imo. Lot, I'll pause there in the middle of the Pasuk. Lot went up from Tzoar and dwelt in the mountain, and his two daughters with him. Now, this is interesting. Um, the, next, the second half of the Pasuk is going to sort of explain, but you will remember that Lot begged the Malachim to save the city of Tzoar so that he could go and live there. And in fact, he didn't want to live in the mountain. And yet now he leaves Tzoar and goes to the mountain. Continues the pastor. Because he was afraid to dwell in Tzoar. And he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. Now, says Rashi on Kiyare Lashevet Tzoar, because it was near to Sodom. Now, we can interpret this, and I, I think probably to interpret it in a fairly simple way, but I have got a, a, a Remez-type way to, to, to come to in a moment. But it, there is a problem with, with the Pasuk and with Russia, because Lot made such a big deal of wanting to um, be saved and save Tsar. And now suddenly he says, no, Tzorah's not for me. I don't like it. I'm afraid to dwell in Tzorah. Now, why is he afraid? Because the Malach promised him that he wouldn't destroy Tzorah. That was, that was the deal. So why is now he afraid to live in Tzorah? So as Rashi says, it was near to Sodom. Well, the funny thing is, it was always near to Sodom. When, when Lot asked the Malach to save Tzorah, he knew the geography. He knew it was near to Sodom. He said it was near to Sodom because he said um, on Pasuk Yud, Sorry, Pasuk Kaf. Behold now the city, this city, it's near to flee there. So what was a reason to flee there is now a reason not to flee there because it's near to Saddam. So maybe you can say that after he sees the actual reality of the tremendous catastrophe that is the destruction of Saddam, 
he realizes that there will be a natural ripple effect uh, and will affect the cities nearby, which he originally thought might be safe, but now he realizes they're not safe. So there's, a, there's an earthquake, there's sulfur and fire coming down from the sky. So we know these natural phenomena, they do affect not just the epicenter, but they affect a wider area as well. So maybe that having previously thought Shoah was far enough away, it was near, but it wasn't too near, now he thinks it is too near. But I also want to suggest, and, and this is just a thought of mine, and I, it may not be uh, well-based, but if you look at Rashi on Pasuk Kaf, on the words I quoted, when Lot said, it's near to flee there. Rashi didn't translate Karova as literally near. Rashi brought a Midrashic type explanation. Karova Yeshivata, its settlement was more recent. Nityashva mi Karov, it had been settled more recently. And therefore it had not filled its measure yet. And then Rashi went through a whole long proof to show that this was now 52 years after Doha Palaga, after the dispersal, um, which means Saddam was settled at the time of the dispersal, at the time of Migdal Babel, so that Saddam was 52 years old. Sawar was a little bit less. Uh, so how much less? One year less. Because if we don't know for sure it's any more or less, we assume it's one year less. And Rashi said that's the gematria of Na in the Pasuk, Nun Allah. So Rashi said, that on Pasukah, when Lot said, I want to go to Tsoa, which is Karova, Rashi said that meant more recently built and settled than Sodom, and therefore it hadn't yet reached its merit of sinfulness that deserved to be destroyed. Now, Lot doesn't want to stay in Tsoa, and Rashi says, because it's Karova Sodom, near to Sodom. So I want to suggest, maybe Rashi is alluding to the way he himself explained Karova, that it was more recent than Saddam, but as Rashi said, only one year more recent than Saddam, which means how long has it got before it fills its measure of sinfulness? Only one year. And so maybe that's what Rashi means when he says the Fishaita Karova Saddam, it was near to Saddam in settlement. So it's only got one year before it deserves to be destroyed as well. So Lot doesn't want to stay there. Just the thought that maybe that's why Rashi uses the word Karova. Uh, I, I don't have a clear proof for that. And it's a bit of a stretch, but it's an interesting idea. Now, Pasuk Lamad Aleph. Now we get into the story of Lot and his daughters. And uh, certain things are going to be a little bit awkward for me to talk about. Um, but this is, about, if we get through the whole Torah one day, this is probably the most tricky bit of the entire Torah to talk about in a shir. Let's see how we go. Pasuk Lamad Aleph. So the older, the firstborn, said to the younger born. By the way, let's remember, um, these are the two women whom Lot offered to the mob. And he said, um, uh, they have not known man, so they are betulot. Um, Lot's uh, married daughters and their husbands didn't want to come out of Saddam. They thought he was making a joke when he told them to get ready. Lot's wife uh, turned into a pillar of salt. So all that is left is Lot and these two daughters, the very two that he offered to the mob. Now, the older one says to the younger one, Avinu Zaken, our father is old, the ish ein ba'aretz, lavo eleinu kiderech kol ha'aretz. And there's no man in the world to come to us in the way of all the world. There's no men left. Rashi will explain what they were thinking. And therefore, if we're going to repopulate the world, if we're going to conceive, well, we've got limited options. Rashi says on the words, avinu zaken. 
sorry, what they plan to do is get their father drunk and then they will sleep with him and that's how they will conceive. So Rashi says on the word, Avinu Zaken, Ve'imlo achshav emotai. Quoting the famous words of the Mishnah, if not now, when? Shema yamut, maybe he's going to die. Or yifsok milaholid, or he will become infertile. So we haven't got much time. Why does Rashi say this? What is the relevance of the older saying to the younger, our father is old? Now, first of all, she doesn't need to say this at all. She could just say, he's the only man left, therefore we need to do what we need to do. But she says he is old. So there is an alternative meaning that could mean. For instance, maybe there's more than one, but there's at least one other alternative meaning that we can suggest. And that is, maybe she means that it will be easy to get him drunk because he's losing his marbles a bit and we will be able to do what we need to do because he is old. So Rashi refutes that. Rashi says that's not what she means. She means, Now, the next thing is, the ish ein ba'aretz. What does it mean there is no person in the world? Savurot hayu. They, the two girls, were thinking that the entire world had been destroyed. Like in the generation of the flood, and it says that in the Midrash. This time Rashi actually gives his reference. So there is a precedent for destroying things. When the world was destroyed, one family alone was saved. So they think but that's what's happened now. They look all around and all they see is destruction. They're living in a cave. They have no evidence that life has carried on. You might ask, well, hang on a minute. They spent time in Tsar. So Lot did go to Tsar with his daughters. And then as we just saw in Pasuk Lava, he left Tsar, but they must have seen Tsar. And after all, the Malach promised Lot that he would be able to live in Tsar because it wouldn't be destroyed. So how do we handle that? Well, it could be that just like Lot thought that Soar's uh, security wasn't guaranteed, so the daughters also may reach the same conclusion. Lot left Soar with his daughter, so maybe they, going back to the original interpretation of Rashi, Lefi, Shahita, Karova, and Sadab, it was near to Sadab, it's bound to be destroyed. And now they're in a cave and there's no email and they don't know whether it's been destroyed or not, so they assume the worst. And by the way, when the Malach told Lot that the Malach would save Soar, you could read that as he only told Lot and the daughters didn't hear that part of the message. So the daughters had no reason to believe that Soar was guaranteed. So Rashi says that they reckoned there was nobody left in the world and therefore the only way to repopulate the world was from their father. Um, okay, Lamad Gimel. Sorry, there's Lamed Bet, but there's nothing, there's no Rashi on Lamed Bet, but we will read it. Lacha nashke et avinu yayim. Come, let us get our father to drink wine. V'nishkava imo. And we will lie with him. me avinu zara. And we will, literally, we will live from our father with descendants, with seed. No Rashi, which is interesting, because we'll come, but there's something that Rashi should have said, but he says in the next passage. Lamed Gimel. et avihen yayin. They made their father drink wine. Balailahu on that night. Vatavo habechira. And the older one came. Vatishkav et aviha. And she lay with her father. Velo yada. And he did not know. Beshikva uvakuma. When she lay down, 
and when she got up. Okay, Rashi's got a few things to say. The first thing he says is for Tashkena, they made their father drink wine. And Rashi says, Yayin nizdamein lahem b'ma'ara. Wine was provided for them, or wine happened to be there in the tent. To bring out from them two nations. First thing to say is, why doesn't Rashi say this on Pasuk Lam of Bet, where it's the first mention of wine? Now, the answer is, perhaps, that there, the older one says, let's use wine, but maybe there wasn't wine in the cave. Maybe you could read that thinking she's going to pop out to the Makalit and buy some wine. But when it comes to Lam and Gimel, there actually is wine there. The Tashkena et Avihen Yayin. There really was wine. By the way, um, what was Lot told he couldn't take out of Saddam? Any possessions. The Malach told him, don't wait around. Don't uh, delay. And Rashi says there, don't think you can save your money. So he couldn't bring any stuff out of Saddam. So the Malach is pretty sure, but he wasn't going to put in a few bottles of wine into his bag, so that's not where they got the wine from. So given that, even in Lamed Bet, it's only a talking about the idea of wine, but in Lamed Gimel there actually is wine, so we realize that wine was put there deliberately by Hashem. Now, now suddenly, we begin to ask a major question. Major question, was what the two daughters of Lot did a good thing or a bad thing? So let me just raise the question. There's a lot one can say on this, um, and we'll see how Rashi answers it. But the first thing that perhaps gives us some direction, we've already heard their logic. They've already understood that they thought there was no man. Does that mean they can have incest with their father? I don't know. Um, well, we'll see. Um, but we're telling us, hold on, that Hashem himself was facilitating this encounter. So that probably sounds like it's, it's a pretty good thing. Um, why doesn't it say Hashem helped them sleep with their father? Why does it say Hashem, it even doesn't mention Hashem, it just says wine was prepared for them, but obviously it means that it was part of the divine plan. So maybe Rashi doesn't want to say that Hashem was directly involved in this act, but he nevertheless, Rashi's pointing out that he facilitated it. I'm going to say one more thing before I take your question. So Rashi says that the wine was there to bring out two nations, two nations, Ammon and Moab, the two children that were considered Received, uh, we'll find out soon, one's called Moab, one's called Amon. And they're important, and they play an important part in Jewish history. Why is Moab a good nation? Root. Why is Amon a good nation? Okay, um, I want to refer you to Peruk, same Peruk. Um, Tetvav. Pasuk Tetvav. The Malachim say to Lot. Uh, the Malachim say, they press Lot, saying, Kum, get up. And take your two daughters, who are found. Lest you be destroyed with the, the sin of the city. Rashiyon Hanimtsaot says, they are found, they're ready in the house for you to save them. And then Rashi says, There is a Midrash. But this, what I've told you, is the way to explain the text. 
Rashi does this occasionally. It's almost, how can I say, annoying. He sort of teases us. He says, there is a Midrash, but I'm not going to tell you what it says because it's not shut. Now, why does Rashi do that? If it's not shut, why does he need to mention it? There's thousands of Midrashim that Rashi doesn't quote. And he doesn't at every point say, oh, by the way, you can look in the Midrash. It's quite cute there. You'll find something interesting, but I'm going to stick to Peshat. He doesn't say that. But here he says, there's a Midrash, but I'm going to give you Peshat. So when he does this on rare occasions, what he means is the Midrash is worth reading. It's, it gives you an important perspective on the Pasuk. It's not Peshat, but I recommend it. Today, of course, it would be hypertext and you'd click on it. And what does the Midrash say? So the Midrash says on the word Nitzat, it Midrashically refers to two women who are going to be descended, Rut and Naama. Rut from Moab, we all know who she was. Naama from Ammon was the wife of Shlomo, one of his thousand wives, and the mother of Rachavoam, and the mother hence of the entire Davidic dynasty. So there must have been other wives along the way in the Davidic dynasty, but she is um, singled out as significant. So without Moab, there'd be no Rut, there'd be no David, and without Ammon, there'd be no Nama, and therefore there'd be no descendants of Shlomo, or they wouldn't be the ones that we have as the kings of Israel and the kings of Yodah, up to and including Mashiach. So Rashi is telling us that Midrash is important, it just ha- doesn't have to be Bashat in that case. So it's the same idea here in our Pasuk in Lamad Gimel that there's something important about bringing out these two nations. And Hashem is facilitating the events, so the ancestors of these two nations are going to be conceived. Yes, your um, question be waited patiently for. Yeah, no, that's okay. Um, I'm just wondering, in a possible when it said, here's my word, that during the application, could that turn my glass into the grave? Would that be rape? I suppose it is. I mean, we didn't know that they would go there. I mean, if that was in reverse, that would have had to be Well, right. yeah, I suppose so. I mean, rape does occur in um, um, it's, it's It's interesting. I mean, we're very focused on child protection issues and sexual abuse issues, and we're very focused on, um, well, on the need for consent uh, in all issues. Uh, and that doesn't just apply that the male needs the female's consent. We, female needs the male's consent. Uh, and if they don't, it's called sexual assault or rape by our standards today. Yeah. Um, I think, first of all, um, it, it might be out and out rape. And the fact that it's in the Tanakh doesn't mean it's okay. Um, it happened. Um, but I suspect by the standards of earlier years, the idea of women needing the consent of the men um, was not so well established. That's just my thought. But you're right, you're right. Um, but, but um, before we judge them too harshly on that particular respect, let's read further in Rashi. Okay, the next thing that Rashi says is on the words, Betishkav et Aviha. So the older sister we read in Pasuk Lama Gimel, Betishkav et Aviha. But I will tell you that in Pasuk Lama Hay, where the second daughter does the same thing, it reads, Betishkav Imo. She slept, she, she lay, she slept with him. So in the first case, it's the Tishkav et Aviha, and in the second case, it's the Tishkav Imo. So Rashi notices, as Rashi always does, phrases which are similar but not identical. 
if they're similar, it raises the question why they aren't identical. This is a very, very common feature of Rashi's um, questioning. So here he says, on the words, and with the younger one, it writes, she slept, she lay with him. Why? So Rashi answers that question. And he says, with the old, sorry, with the younger one, she did not initiate the zunut, the immorality, but her older sister taught her. Because as we'll see in the next passage, Lamad Dalad, the older sister says to the younger sister, it was a good idea, now it's your turn. So the older sister taught her, therefore, the pasuk literally covers her or has mercy on her. And does not specify her disgrace. So that's why it doesn't say explicitly she lay with her father like it does with the older sister. But the older one, who initiated the immorality, the Pasuk publicizes it uh, explicitly. Okay, pause for that. And then we've got something else. I asked a moment ago, did the daughters of Lot do the right thing or did they not? And I said, what do you think Rashi says? And it seems to me that in these two comments of Rashi, we have a, a dialectic. On the one hand, Hashem himself, although sort of in a slightly discreet way, is facilitating this to happen. He provides the wine. On the other hand, Rashi says it's zanut, it's, it's immorality, and it's gnut, it's disgrace, and it's a great chesed, perhaps I'm stretching it, but it's a great chesed to the younger sister, but it's not quite so explicit about the terrible, terrible thing that she did. Seems to me that this, this dialectic gives us precisely the thesis and the antithesis, and the synthesis is, it was the right thing to do, but it was still disgusting. And that itself is not a contradiction, it's a nuance. It was the right thing to do. The Gemara says they were motivated, they had the Kavana to do a mitzvah. But that doesn't take away from the fact it was very, very ugly. And they should have been totally sensitive to the ugliness and the, and the disgust, but they should have felt. And maybe they did, or maybe it's not quite clear whether they did or not. Maybe one felt more than the other. For instance, there are other parallels. Um, who had to give up themselves to achieve a greater benefit? Which women in Tanakh sacrifice their own virtue, if you like? Esther. Esther, thank you. And another example? Tamara. Uh, possibly, yes, yes, I was thinking the other Tamara. Um, and Hannah, well, she killed herself. Okay, I'm thinking of Yael. Yael, who seduced Sisera and then killed him with the tent peg, but she gave herself to him, first of all. Um, when Mordechai says to Esther, you've got to go and see the king. And she says, I'd rather wait till I'm called. And he says, you've got to go and see the king. And she said, and he says, if you don't go now, salvation will appear for the Jews. You will come from another place and you and your father's house will be destroyed. Don't think that you can put this off. And she says, okay, everyone's got to fast for me because I'm going to see the king. Now going to see the king, we have to understand is not in the way that we tell the little kids when we tell them the Purim story. She was part of his harem 
and going to see him was presumably going to give herself over to him. And if she's going without being asked, she's actually initiating it. So she's actually committing adultery. She's not coerced at that point. And she says to Mordechai, Im avadati, avadati. if I am lost, I am lost. And I forget who, maybe Rashi, maybe the Gemara, um, says, if I do this, I will now be considered an adulteress, and therefore I can't be with you, Mordechai, my husband, who's a husband as well as your uncle, um, and I'm lost. I'm lost from you as well. And it's a very, very tearful moment. So if it's so terrible what she's going to do, why is she going to do it? Because it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do, but it's terrible. And that is the answer, and I think it's clear in the Rashi's we've just seen, to the case of the Banat Rock. Now, as it happens, they made a mistake because there were other people in the world, but they didn't know that. And therefore, the Gemara itself says their intention was to do a mitzvah. But they had to have the sense that it was still disgusting. And as we'll see a little bit later, there's, there's clearly a distinction between the attitude of the older sister and the younger sister. What about Lot? Now, Rashi's next comment is about Lot himself. So the Pasuk says... Um, he did not know when she lay down and when she got up, says Rashi. When it says, and she got up with the elder sister, Nakud, there's a dot, or maybe there are dots. Lomar to say, that when she got up, he did know. And even so, lo mishmar leil sheni milishtot. He did not keep back, as it were, on the second night from drinking. So let me just go to the end, and then we'll go back to the beginning. So the end is, Rashi says, Lot was not an innocent party. And that's part of the answer to your question. By the second night, Lot knew what was going on, and he joined in. He let himself be made drunk, knowing what was going to happen, because he did know what had happened on the previous night. So what does it mean, Ubakuma? It's Nakut. Now, it could mean one of at least three things. In our text, there's a dot on the middle vav. Um, so it's read, it would still be read Zulkuma. And in fact, interestingly enough, when it comes to the younger sister, the last word of Pasuk Lamad Hay is Ubakuma, same pronunciation, same word, but it's chasa. And in our version, it's malay. But the dot takes out the vog and makes it chasa. So the simple thing that Rashi might be saying is, he didn't know her lying down and getting up. But the getting up, what he didn't know was partial, which meant he did know some of it. So the getting up is, we don't read it as a full word, because a, a letter that's got a dot on it is um, to be ignored. We saw that uh, in the beginning of Perek Yudchet when the, uh, about Eyo Sarah Ishtecha, uh, where is Sarah your wife? And the, Rashi made the point that there were dots on the letters of Eyo. Um, so if there's a dot on the Vav, it's like it's not there, which means like the word is chaser, which means the non-knowing itself was imperfect, which means he knows something. But there are other versions that say that Rashi uh, are talking about, in fact, the Gemara, which Rashi is quoting, seems to say that it's the dot is on the first vav, the u, uh, the u at the beginning. So what that means is uh, you read it as if there's no vav there, 
and it would read is bekuma, which doesn't quite make grammatical sense, but it means you're breaking the link between the words lo yada and uvakuma. If you take out the and, then uvakuma or vakuma is no longer joined to the shikhma, which is not joined to the lo yada. Or you could say, and Rashi, you see, Rashi isn't quite explicit. He says, it's dotted. So something that Rashi's text actually had dots on all the letters of Ubukuma as if it's not there at all. In which case it just reads, but Ubukuma, she, he did know. So it's just a matter of, of, of where were Rashi's dots? Um, our version is on the second verb. Maybe it's on the first verb. Maybe it's on the full word. But the meaning is essentially the same at all times. Now, I don't know what you've got in your text because the next bit in my book is in brackets and it only appears in some texts and not others. And it says, Omar Rebbe Levi. Rebbe Levi said, Kol bulmas Whoever is desirous after a surfeit of immoral relations, at the end, they feed him from his own flesh. How do we know that Lot was interested in um, Arayot? If we look at Perak Lamad, sorry, Perak Yud Gimel, when Lot, um, when Lot chooses to go to uh, Saddam, we read. In Pasuk Yud, Yud, Yud Gimel Yud. Um, and the last part of Rashi on Pasuk Yud. Umidrash So this bit about him lifting up his eyes and seeing the plain of Sodom and Amor and deciding that's a nice place to live. There's a Midrash, Dorshulaganai, that expounds this whole Pasuk in a very negative way referring to Lot. In fact, every word of that Pasuk is proved to be something bad about Lot. Because they were immersed in immorality, Lot chose their neighborhood. Because they were immersed in immorality. So we see that Rashi has already said, or at least referred to a Midrash that says Lot was uh, desirous of improper relations. That's why he went to Saddam. And says Rabbi Levi, the sort of person who acts like that ends up literally eating the flesh of his own, uh, his own flesh, i.e. Lot being in the situation that he was put in with his own daughters. Now, it's interesting that this is in brackets. It's in brackets because it's in some um, texts of Rashi and not in others. Um, to be honest, I prefer if it weren't, because it's very hard to explain exactly why it's there. It doesn't seem to be answering a question. It doesn't seem to be explaining a problem in the text, which, as we know, is what always drives rushing. But if it is there, we have to explain it. And I think it's coming to continue the um, previous point that Lot was part of the scheme. Lot, at least by the second night, was part of the conspiracy. Um, and we learned that from Uvakuma with its dot. And Rashi says, it turns out that Lot did not hold himself back. And then Rashi points out that it makes sense because Lot was the sort of person who deserved this fate. So it sort of fits that Lot ended up participating in this terrible event, in this disgusting event. But it fits because Lot was the sort of person who, for whom it was coming 
as Rabbi Levy says. Um, okay. I just had one more comment. Oh, we'll get it. Okay. Lama Dalet. Vayhim imacharat, vatome habechira el hatsira, and the uh, older one said to the younger one, Hein shachavti emesh et avi, behold, last night I slept with my father. Nashkenu yayim gam halayla, let us make him drink wine also tonight. Uvo shichvi imo, and uh, come and lay with him. And we will um, get seed from our father. And so, no rush on that. What happened? Um, they made him drink also that night. Their father wine. And the younger one got up and lay with him. And he did not know her lying down and her getting up. And then still no Rashi, Pasuk Lamad Vav. And the daughters of Lot became pregnant. They conceived from their father. And Rashi says, Even though a woman does not conceive from her first act of relations, they took control of themselves, and they brought out their erva, which is like their nakedness or, or, or their sexual organs, and other versions say edutan, their testimony, lachutz, to the outside, and they did conceive from their first act of relations. Wow, what is this all about? So first of all, uh, the Gemara says, a woman does not conceive from her first act of relations. I don't think there is a medical basis for that. Uh, and therefore, uh, we view that Gemara as either it's wrong, and Chazal did not always get their science right. They got all their Torah right, but not always their science. That is a view, which I think is 100% valid. Um, or we can say they meant something in a way that, uh, well, I certainly don't understand what that might have meant as a metaphor for something else. But let's take it as they understood that women don't get pregnant from their first act of relations. We know that the daughters were to Lot because uh, Lot said to the mob that there are two, my two daughters have not known any man. Um, so these are to Lot and yet they got pregnant. So how come? Um, so Rashi says, Sholtu um, Ba'atzman, they, Sholtu, they, possession of themselves, and they brought out their Ereba, and other, other texts say their Eidut. Now, I think you can explain this really in three ways, which all mean the same thing. But let's just try and understand what the words mean. So um, they all imply, all the things I'm going to tell you imply that the problem with a Betula becoming pregnant is the presence of the hymen. And what, in three different ways, we can read Rashi as saying, that they removed their hymens and therefore they removed what stopped from being pregnant and therefore became pregnant. So one is Shaltuba Atzman, they took possession of themselves and actually did that. Um, it's also the case that the word Shaltu 
Um, and the Sifta Echamim makes this point, that if you look in Vayikra Yudchet Kaf Gimel, there, the act of relations, actually in terms of bestiality there, is translated by Onkelos with the word Shaltu. So perhaps Shaltu actually means had some sort of relations, and Shaltu Ba'atzman means they basically did it themselves in order to remove their hymen. Um, and that's somehow what is meant by Behotziu Erbatan Lachutz. But if you read it, and this is the third way I'm going to read it, as not Erbatan, but Eidutan, which is only one letter difference, but the testimony, their personal testimony of their virginity was their hymen, and they brought that out, that means that they removed their hymen, and therefore they became pregnant. Okay, um, enough of that. But um, let us contrast that with... Um, no, I didn't put in the passing number, but the story of... Hagar. Um, what is the story of Hagar? So um, Abraham and Sarah haven't had children for a long time. They've been married to Sarah for 10 years. So Sarah says to Abraham, why don't you try and have a child with Hagar? And he does. And she becomes pregnant immediately. You take Zion, Pasuk Dalit. She becomes pregnant from the first act of relations. Uh, the Midrash explains it because we didn't want Abraham to have, a, have to be in a situation where he has to have relations with Hagar more than once. So Hashem brought it about that she became pregnant from the first beer, from the first act. Um, we, and Rashi doesn't make a comment there. And he doesn't say that, oh, how come she became pregnant on the first act? That doesn't normally happen. So we just assume it was a miracle that Hashem brought it about. Why don't we say the same thing here? Why don't we say that Hashem brought it about? So two possible answers. One is, this is also a reflection of the ambivalence about what's going on here. Yes, there was a justification, but yes, it was horrible. So Hashem is not gonna make a nace in a very overt manner for something which is pretty disgusting. So that's why what he did with Hagar isn't replicated here. But there's also a textual point. And the point is, if you look in Lamed Gimel, The elder one came and lay with her father. Why does it say Vatavo? It doesn't need to say Vatavo. It could just say Vatishkav etaviha. So Vatavo implies she did something by way of preparation. And what did she do by way of preparation? That's what Rashi explains here. Um, I keep pausing because I'm looking for a reference that I wanted to bring in and I think, ah, there it is. Pasuk Lamad Gimel. It says Balaila Hu. And it says, the, uh, no, in Lamad Hey, it says Balaila Hahu. Okay, in Lamed Gimel, it says, V'tashkeno et avihen yain balayla hu, v'tavo ha-bechira v'tishka v'tavihah. Now, if you look at, back to Peret Lamed, which we looked at a moment ago, and you look at Pasuk Tet Zion. So the story there is, it's still in the middle of the various children being born to Yaakov, via his four wives. And this is the story of the Dudaim when Leah, Leah's son Reuven brings some dudaim, which is some type of fruit, various possible translations, 
And Rachel says, can I have some of the fruit? And Leah says, yes, but you have to give Yaakov to me for the night. And in Tet Zion, um, she said to him, you're coming to me tonight because I have hired you with the Dudaim of my son. Now that's a funny expression because what should it be? Grammatically, it should be Hahu. So there and here, it's Hu. But Rashi there makes the point of what is Hu. Rashi on Tet Zion. HaKadosh Baruch Hu Siyo Shiyatza Misham Yisascha. Hashem himself assisted because as a result of that night with Leah and Yaakov came out Yisascha. So Hu. who's the who? Says Rashi, who is Hashem? It doesn't mean that night because that would be Hahu. It means night, him, and him is Hashem. And Hashem, when it says Balaylahu, Hashem is assisting in bringing this union about. Now it's interesting that we have the same expression, Lailahu in Yud Lamed Gimel. Rashi doesn't make a comment, but I am because it fits and it actually fits very well. That Rashi is sensitive and we see he is in Lamed Tet Zion to the meaning of Lailahu, that Hashem is involved in the process. And Rashi doesn't want to say that here, just like he doesn't say explicitly that Hashem provided the wine or Hashem brought it all about, but Hashem is actually making this union happen, as we saw, because it's important that these two nations get born. So it also, it sort of fits that Rashi is aware of the meaning of Laila Hu, but doesn't want to say it in this case. Now, what- Yes. In the second daughter, it's a Laila Hu. Yes. No, I haven't got a reason for that. Although to be honest, it, it actually, um, I think it, it strengthens my point because again, it's one of those classic similar but different. So the second daughter sort of reminds us it should be Belayla Hahu, which makes it more overt and blatant that it isn't Belayla Hahu in the first daughter. Okay. So okay. Like being involved in that sort of thing? I don't know. I, okay, maybe I'm stretching this too far. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm extrapolating from over there to over here. Maybe it doesn't work, but I actually think it does. Okay, it's also 9.28, so I think we will stop there. And next week in Yitzhak we will see the children who were born from these unions and what were their names. And one of the names still lives on in, in a very real way, as we will see that next week. So thank you very much. Thank you very much.